Yes. Episode one twenty nine of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. It's another uh, another one of a dynamic duo, but a different dynamic duo than you had a couple of weeks ago. I forgot that the one that we just posted um, actually had three of us. It was me and Buzzy and a guest, our buddy Bryant. So, uh, but it's me and uh, Spangler. Spence and Spangler are back. Um, the the OG lineup. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to figure out what to talk about tonight, but we'll get it going. A lot. Uh, my dog obviously he has a, a lot to say, as you can probably hear in the background. She's uh, fighting through her meds, so sorry about that for everybody listening. But yeah, no, it's it's good to be back on. It's been a hot second. Yeah, it has been a while. We got some stuff to talk about. We got to get your take on some of the new things that have dropped that we haven't talked about yet. But first, let's talk about what's on wrist and what's in glass. Spangler, what have you got? So, you know, and we might touch on this later on in the episode, but I mean, I, I've started to get rid of a few things. I don't have as much as I had in the past, but I, I have my ever consummate sub on the wrist tonight because, you know, I've kind of just been wearing that every day for God knows how long. But uh, yeah, it's on the wrist tonight. And in the glass is a recommendation from a friend of the show, Ryan. Um, it's a Sagamore Spirit Rye, their double oaked rye, which uh, I was not the biggest fan of when I first opened the bottle, but after letting it sit for, I don't know, maybe about two weeks, it's 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 a lot better than I remember. So, uh, Remind me which Ryan. Uh, the Ryan who, of course, right, this is an audio medium, so everybody out there listening yeah. won't remember this. The Ryan it's the wears sunglasses? The Ryan who the Ryan wears, wears sunglasses, sunglasses. Uh, and okay. was last on with Chase <laughs> of Oak and Oscar. <laughs> yes, that was, that was that was an interesting. Episode. Yes, Chase's commentary after that was absolute gold. <laughs> really was, was. really was. <laughs> we miss you, Chase. Amazing. Come back on at some point. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk some more Oak and Oscar for sure. Um, all right. Well, um, I also noticed you're wearing your green Rolex hat uh, that matches. Uh, my wrist, because on my wrist is um, my bronze Fratello Oris Big Crown Pointer Date on bracelet, which means uh, since it was pretty humid today here in Cincinnati, I've got a little uh, green stripe going. Oh, wow. Wrist. That is uh, not You know the best part about it is? It, 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 it's not. It kind of develops over the day. Uh, but the best part about it is, like... I'll shower in the morning and it'll be like, it was never there. Like that. Mm -hmm. Like I remember Rolf, Rolf joking about that. He's like, you shower, it comes right off and he's not wrong. You don't have to scrub or anything. Like you just, it just comes right off. (laughs) Um, It's not, it's not a big deal at all. (laughs) So uh, now the one thing that I haven't kind of, I haven't looked at, maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't have the impact that I would thought. Like actually I love this thing on the bracelet. I love how thin it wears. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but we're getting into long sleeve season and I'm wondering if on any of mine, now, I don't wear a Oxford shirt very often, but if I do, I wonder if there'll be any rub off there. Now, the interesting thing would be the case would do that too anyways. And I never noticed it with the case. So like, I can't imagine that this would increase it, but anyway, and then in the glass, it's not in the glass, it's in a can. Oof. And, um, well, first, before I get into this, I have to say we're recording this the day before my wife's birthday, so happy birthday to my lovely wife. Um, she doesn't listen, but uh, several, a couple family members do, so they'll hear that at least I acknowledged. Happy, happy pre-birthday to Rachel. Yes. Um, but we were actually up in Wisconsin visiting some of Rachel's family, and uh, I used to live in Wisconsin. Um, 
for a little while right after college. And you take, you, you know how you kind of take things for granted is like always being there? For One sure. of those things was New Glarus Spotted Cow, which is a tremendous farmhouse ale, so it's a little bit cloudy. They, they leave the yeast in the in the bottle, in the keg, in the can. Mm-hmm. It's just got a beautiful like ale flavor with just a little bit, little bit extra. Oh, and it is on on tap in literally every bar in Wisconsin. <laughs> and then, like it, but they they say it's Wisconsin employee owned, and their motto is only in Wisconsin. So they legitimately, even though they probably could, have decided anything that we make. We only distribute in Wisconsin. So you literally have to go to Wisconsin to get this. Mm. Um, I came back with quite a bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I've shared it with a couple of neighbors and, and such like that. But I stocked up because it is so excellent. The other beer that I brought back with me, my other – but I've seen it down here in Cincinnati is uh, Lakefront Brewery in downtown Milwaukee. Mm. Uh, makes uh, an amber uh, lager called River West Stein, which – Eerily similar to Happy Amber. Like, I'm a big fan of those amber lagers and mm-hmm. beers in that vein. I brought some of that home, too. But, yeah, you can't talk about going to Wisconsin without having New Glarus Spotted Cow. And you can't not bring it back. It's required. Like, I think they, the Wisconsin State Police actually, like, stop you at the border and check you. Like, you didn't get New Glarus. You got to go back. <laughs> like, we can't let you leave unless you've got at least a six-pack, you dum-dumb. <laughs> so... <laughs> It is. It's that like it. It's it's delicious. Like it's it's just one of those. That it's a beer you just want to drink, and it, it's an easy drinker. It's not like a very, like, it's got a good clean flavor mm-hmm. despite being cloudy. And it's one of those that you're just like, oh, I could just I could just drink this. Like, I just want to keep drinking it for um, sure. It's great. Big fan. Nice. Big fan. So, um, I'll probably drink those a little bit more, like steadily now. And then as I start to get to that last twenty four pack, I'll definitely slow down because it'll be like. I guess when am I going to Wisconsin next? <laughs> You'll switch back to the Natter days. Uh, those are going out of season as well. Um, wow. I got one of the last 30 packs a while ago. Interesting, so, um, yeah. So, actually, the the one that I go to now, I mean, Yingling is good, but um, actually uh, Braxton Garage Beer. Just a good, just a good sure. lager. Perfect. Yeah. It's a good one. So, yeah. Should we dive into fresh forum finds? Let's do it. All right. I'll let you go first. What have you got? Uh, well, you know, it's nothing too crazy. Uh, but, of course, on the bay, because that is where I abide most of the time, uh, it's an Oars Divers 65 Chrono, uh, which is their, you know, Diver 65 with two subdials and two pushers on the right-hand side. Um as long as a as well as a crown. Uh, yes, uh, yes, it comes with a crown too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on the bracelet, uh, full box um, does not mention papers, but you know I, I'm assuming it may come with them or not. I don't. I don't know. It's listed for twenty one fifty, so it, it's like it's not really that big of a deal if it doesn't come with them. Um, and it's also a best offer, so you know, do with that what you will. Probably get it for a pretty good deal, right? This is—I've seen a few of these around. This is definitely one of the lower-priced ones that I have seen. Uh, seller has great reviews too, so you know if you're interested, interested, uh, you know, check it out or not. I'm not your boss. That's pretty good. That's a good watch. We've uh, th- those for as big as they measure wear significantly better than they should. For we sure, know that from experience. We yep. know that from experience. We do. So I've got 
I've got one, which um, actually, you know, something I'm going to go back. I was going to do the Speedy, yep. fifty three hundred, full set, couple months old. Watch that I own. Great deal, mm-hmm. but it's not as good as the one I'm about to tell you. Pulling an audible. So, I am calling an audible here. <laughs> I am calling an audible. So, I. This is another watch that I own. I don't own this version, but I've seen this dial in person because we had one in for review. <laughs> so, what I have here is on. What form is that? Oh, this is on Reddit on Watch Exchange. This is recent too, seven hours ago, so this might still be available by the Tuesday or Wednesday this may or may not come out. But uh, this is a new Oris Pro Pilot X. Oh. With a blue dial, caliber 400, 39 millimeters. Sure. For $2,600. So that is damn near 50% off. Yeah, that's, wow. That's a pretty good deal. It's a really good deal. Yeah, wow, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you, like, I own a different version of this watch, and this watch is really good, and that is a hell of a price. Wow. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, 39mm wears great, you know, titanium bracelet, just, just an abs- like, I absolutely love the watch. Um, 2600 bucks. Oh. On Reddit, like that's killer piece, killer price. Like, yeah. I mean, at that price, I, uh, it probably will not be available by next Tuesday. Yeah, by the time this drops, it may not be. But um, <laughs> you heard it here first. That was that was like jaw dropping. Yeah, I guess watch out for the future is the moral of this yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, so uh, it was interesting. Um, I was at Target tonight. You know what I saw at Target? What did you see at Target? Well, among all of the Halloween decorations and stuff that you know we were actually there looking at, of course, I uh, I was out of shampoo, so I had to go oh. to the uh, to the, the the personal care area. Sure, and there was a display. There was a display for products from our friends at Manscaped. Wow, Manscaped is apparently in Target right now. Um, so I don't know if any of you all have like you can actually go and see the product at Target, which you know would be interesting. But you know something? If you go to Target and you go to buy it and you take it up front and you ask them, hey, can I give you promo code BUZZCUT and will you give me 20% off? <laughs> They'll be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Who are you talking yeah. about? You're they don't know here. who we are. Yeah, no. We don't, we don't have people at Target, but we do have friends at Manscaped. We do. And if, if you are interested, uh, the lawnmower, the weed whacker, the you know, crop preserver, crop revitalizer – all of the good products that we uh, we are big fans of. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would talk to you about the tensile properties of the ceramic blades, but Buzzy isn't going to correct <laughs> me where I'm wrong. So um, I'll just leave that to him when he comes back. Yeah. I will say, though, the LED, the LED lamp mm-hmm. on that is quite bright, quite yeah, helpful. It's, it's um, blinding almost. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, don't shine it in your eyes. eyes. It's Spangler. <laughs> don't, I, mean, I don't think it's. I don't think they recommend shaving your eyebrows. <laughs> I don't think very many people recommend shaving your eyebrows in general. I mean, but, you could if you wanted to. The blades are that good. And, you know, yeah, they, they would. Right and you know, one, something one. there would be very little irritation right there. Take them and clean off. <laughs> clean off one one sweep. <laughs> Just clean off. <laughs> you can draw them on, and people would be like, "You look surprised that you shaved your eyebrows off." Um, anyway, but if you wanted to um, shave your eyebrows or anywhere else, those those light the headlamp on the. Uh, Lawnmower, it, quite excellent. Um, 
But again, you can't get 20% off and free shipping from Target, no, but you, you can cannot. if you go to their website and give them promo code BUZZCUT. So uh, go check that out. Let them know that we sent you. Uh, and uh, I guess happy trimming. <laughs> <laughs> don't cut yourself. Be safe out I, there. I'm browsing otherwise. Yeah, 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 wherever you're trimming. We don't care. Just be safe. Yeah. Don't run the battery out. Charge it up <laughs> every <laughs> night. Right, yes. Spangler? Yes, definitely charge it. Don't try to use it without... You don't, you, you don't want to be trimming one eyebrow and then have it die and then have the other one. <laughs> no, no, no. Classic mistake right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway... Uh, so there's a couple of things that we missed your take on, and I'm I'm curious, and I'm sure you probably haven't seen one in person. But what do you think about the uh, the new Tudor Pelagos? I mean, you are correct in that I have not seen one in person. Um, but I mean, honestly, when I first saw the watch, my initial reaction was, "Man, Tudor, this is what you should have came out with in 2012, right?" Imagine if Tudor just dropped onto the scene in 2012, back from the European market, back into the States, or out of the European market again, back in the States, and they just come out with this. Imagine where we'd be today, right? I mean, Rolex, they'd be like, wow, you know, we're behind again with Tudor. You know, it is what it is. But I mean, honestly, the, the watch is like the watch that everybody's been clamoring for for a while now from Tudor. Sure, it's not a Tudor sub, but I mean, it is a Tudor sub. For it's all the closest and you're going to get. Yeah. For sure, right? The Super Sub's never coming back. I think Tudor kind of just told us that by putting this out. So for everybody out there clamoring for the, the rebirth, you got it. It's just called a Pelagos, not a Sub, which yeah. is to be kind of expected. Um, dimensions on it, fantastic, right? You can't go wrong with that. Um, titanium, great. Bracelet, great. Clasp, great. Uh, the one thing that, and, you know, this is like the thing that I think a lot of people have issues with, with the watch. If you do have issues with it, right? Some people love the watch and think it's perfect. More power to you. Uh, the dial kind of got me, uh, the sunburst effect, which I have read from a few articles saying that it's actually a lot more vibrant in real life than it can be shown on some photos, uh, and so I don't know since you may have seen seen it in person, right? I did, yes. What is your take on the dial? So it's interesting. I think everybody is making a big deal out of it, and yes, it is. Well, like I handled a blue Pelagos back to back with it, and the blue Pelagos like like sucks light in and doesn't let it out. Like it absorbs. It is matte, sure. like not like that is the easiest watch to photograph outside of my El Primero. Mm-hmm. Which is weird because the El Primero is very shiny, <laughs> but um, very matte, like absorbs all of the light. Now, the Pelagos 39, especially under the very harsh lighting in the jewelry store, did throw light more than I was expecting. Espe- Weirdly, the dial kind of did what I thought it would. It was the bezel. Like, how they did the sunray and the ceramic was actually Oh, yeah, they, they did do that, yeah, yeah. Now, th- there are a couple things that I will say here. Um, one, nobody really complains about how shiny the Rolex Submariner bezel is, and it, it because it is completely polished, it throws light probably even more. It just doesn't have a sunray finish. It's just a very, like, shiny bezel. It does. Um, Can't confirm. It does. Yep, can confirm. Yep. Uh, but 
here's a, here's another thing. I, I brought in a watch with me that I thought is a, it was very analogous to the Pelagos thirty nine, mm-hmm. and that was my SPB one four nine. And weirdly, under that light, you know, we've talked about the SPB bezels having their 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 I think a steel bezel insert, but they're coated mm-hmm. like they have a, a a radial brush to them. They have a, a brushing to them, and it had a similar effect. And the dial, the blue dial on that, while it, it seems very kind of dull, it also does have a slight kind of metallic sheen to it. A little, I wouldn't quite call it sunburst mm-hmm. like that, but there, it definitely throws more light. And putting those two next to each other, the pictures I was taking is like, wow, the, they both kind of have the same effect. And what I will say is I've never once heard anybody complain about the dial and the bezel of any of the SPVs. Yeah, you know, the gray one is very much a sunburst. Mm-hmm. You know, the SPB one four three is very much a sunburst. Like, and everyone's talking about how great that watch is. Yeah. So why everyone's saying that the Pelagos needs to be matte and serene? Like, I, you know, the, there are a couple of styling details that I think could have helped it a little bit better. But like, I don't, I don't think in everyday wear or what you would use it for, even diving, I don't think that the sunburst or the sunray finish is really going to have an effect on anything. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, like. My take on it is that, you know, if you look at the original, uh, you know, Seiko dive watches that inspired, like the 62 Moss, that inspired, like, your SBB, that dial was, I believe from memory, it did have a bit of a sunburst effect on it originally. And I think, you know, people are looking at this Tudor Pelagos that just came out as like, oh, well, this is the Tudor sub, so it should be matte. It should be like the original, what it's going after. You know, we want that. It's kind of you know their idea of what it should be and it wasn't given to them so i guess people are just like Wah. you know well the interesting thing about that is is i think if it was matt it would probably sell less with the non-wisc community now granted these are going to be incredibly hard to get for a while because for i've sure. been told there's a global titanium shortage but I, I see other companies putting titanium watches out maybe maybe those other 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 companies hedged uh titanium like southwest hedges fuel but um <laughs> Like Southwest Airlines, like just I. Anyway, I it. Tudor hasn't been delivering FXDs very much. Like I haven't seen very many Black Bay Chronos, the new Panda version, and the and the reverse mm-hmm. Panda. Like I, they can't keep up with demand. Like other than the first batch that came out, you're probably not going to see these again for a while. Um, so it's mainly the Wisp folk who are going to buy the first rounds. But I think longer term, if they can keep supplies up the folks who are not watch nerds like us probably will like the aesthetic of it more than if it was man that's just my thought yeah i mean you're not wrong um i think a lot of people probably would like it as is if they didn't really know what they uh, it's just one of those things that like i know that people that are, were craving this and wanting this probably wanted it to be matt and like you said right it's gonna sell great with the dial as is, they're not going to have an issue with it, obviously, because it's Tudor. Um, but they'll be fine, right? They're, they're not going anywhere. It's going to be just fine. Um, personally, right, would I, would I go for it? Probably not. Um, but I, I did like, you know, I think it was in our Red Bar Cincy group chat, More Watches said the analogy that, you know, if the FXD was more of the military version like the mill sub that Tudor had back in the day, that this one is more the civilian issue. And I, I kind of like that, right? Uh, yeah. Because I'm a big fan of the FXD, right? I think at some point I will try to snag one of those. Um, 
but right now, I, I guess I'm, I'm not really trying to snag anything, which, I don't know, we, we could talk about a little bit later, but I mean, I, I do like the FXD, I like what Tuna did with that. Um, yeah, this one, I think it's great, it's a great watch, right? I think, you know, if I had unlimited funds and could get it, I definitely would, but I, I don't. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, it's definitely going to be hard to get, like you said, obviously. Yeah, so I mean, <clears throat> that kind of brings us to the... Uh... In a weird way, the main topic, which um, you know, we a couple a few weeks ago we had our buddy uh, Motor John on to talk about kind of collection contentment, you know, moving things around. Like, what, and the interesting thing about it is, like you were kind of mentioning this earlier, like, is there anything to be excited about? Is there anything that's like still fun? Like, is this still fun? Like. It's a weird world when, like, obviously the econ- the overall global economy is kind of in a weird spot. Inflation's going nuts. Weirdly, watch prices seem to be coming back to earth a little bit. Yes. Um, I almost I, my fresh form find was almost a deep sea sea dweller that I thought was below MSRP. Turns out it was not, but it was really close to MSRP, and you haven't seen that in a while. So mm. things are weird. Um, you know. Yeah, purple is in as the boys at Wrist Cheese have talked about. Like, there's there's purple watches everywhere, and there are now uh, we, we've graduated from not just watch meme accounts uh, like our buddy Bro, but there are now watch troll accounts. So, uh, just we're not going to get into that. But like, I guess the question is, Spangler, is this still fun? Is this still fun? Yeah, twenty nine episodes in, is this still fun? <laughs> and like we were talking before the show started, it's like, man, we kind of have to ask ourselves this question, like. Every seven weeks, you said. And I'm like, yeah, I know that. I mean, we really do. Like, it's Well, you said seven months, but I was like, I do this yeah, more I mean, frequently than you do, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Like, I, had to, I had to lead into that just so you could throw that. That was a, an underhand yeah, toss know, for you. I know. Yeah, we <laughs> talked about that pre-show. We did, right? We do some planning, everybody. Yeah, everyone. Was, we do less when Buzzy's not here. <laughs> I, I have no notes in front of me. I'm just, Neither do I. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, this, we tell. might have said the wrong episode number for all I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Wild West out here. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things that, like, when you think about it being fun or not, like, obviously, yes, I still think it's fun. I enjoy going to ADs and looking at watches and talking watches. And incessantly looking up YouTube videos of watches more than I should, right? You know, the typical nonsense that watch nerds do. I think for me personally, where I guess the quote unquote fun has sort of diminished is on new released watches. Like my tastes at this point, right? And we've been doing this around the same time. Um, have just sort of been so fine-tuned into what I like and what I'm looking for in terms of, like, movement, history, aesthetics, all that kind of stuff, that it gets hard to like watches. And I think at this point, it it becomes a hard thing to try and reopen your idea of what you like, which, I don't know, it's just one of those things that, like, it's very easy to get funneled into something and just stick there. Uh, and it's hard to reinvent yourself. And I think when it comes to watches, and when it comes to a lot of things in general, reinventing yourself and is a good thing, a very hard thing to do, but a, a needed thing to keep your interest peaked. And, you know, right, the idea is flowing. 
because obviously we need some fresh ideas for the podcast every once in a while. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I definitely still think it's it's fun, right? Uh, I just think that when it comes to a lot of watches out there, the the wow factor that I used to get back in the day has definitely subsided to more of a, ooh, that's nice, but I'm not going to read the article type of reaction from them. Um, and I don't know if you're you're the same way in that, but I mean, I think it's it's going to be a... I'm going to be trying to reinvent myself this year in terms of like what I like in watches is trying to get myself back in the flow of things and like getting excited about new releases, new watch shows upcoming, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So for me, I think one thing listeners, because I know all 13 of you are actually, sorry, 17 of you are concerned. (laughs) Um, 129 episodes in, this is still fun. That's largely because of the guests, the co-hosts, the the banter, all that. Talking that, watches that will never not fun, be yes. fun because essentially it, it makes it socially acceptable for me to get on the internet, talk with a couple buddies and have a beverage. Like yes. it's instead of going to meet up at a bar and do this, I sit in my basement, we record this and it's like going to a bar and talking about something we're interested in. You mm-hmm. could like it's just, it'd be the same thing going to talk about baseball, football, you know, motorsports, whatever whatever hobby you have. It's the same type of thing. So recording the podcast is never usually not fun. That's yeah. what I'll say. Like, I don't think it's never it, it, not been fun. I don't know if I yeah, use the double negative right, but... Yeah, I don't, yeah I'm kind of with you there. <laughs> um, what I will say, though, is I'm I'm evolving how I think... Like, I'm kind of with you. Like, I kind of evolve... I'm going to talk with John about this. Like, I'm, in a weird way, content. There are a few things that I've kind of got my eye out for. And some of the urge from a collection perspective at times is movement just for movement's sake and then you kind of have to take a step back and say is that really is that really the right motivation is this what i really want or am i just bored and want to move things around just to do it so sure i'm grappling with that and i think we talked about that a little bit but i find it very interesting that we're we're talking about this now because have you have you read fratello at all this week uh oddly enough i i went on the app maybe an hour or so before we started uh, the podcast, and so I, I looked at a few articles. I haven't read it in depth, though, but I know the most recent splattering that they have up. So the, the most recent splattering that they have up has been a lot of their, they call it Collector Week 2.0. So they've done this in the past, about six months ago, and a lot of the editors and contributors are out there writing about their collection status, what influences them, is like kind of revisiting why why they're into watches. And I think the most interesting thing about this, and I don't have an article coming up that's not a plug by any means. I, I've genuinely enjoyed reading everybody else's, <laughs> though, is um, I'd say of the ones that I've read, at least half of them don't like to call themselves collectors. They call them a quiet... Like, cause they, like, and, and this is true. Like If you get to the definition, like there's... Like someone like RJ, who is has a collection of Speedmasters... He has a collection of Speedmasters and he has other watches. Like, to, to a lot of the folks, and if you look at the definition of collector, I guess it kind of, you're kind of splitting hairs on, I have a collection of watches, but like, is there a method to the madness? And a lot, I think a lot of folks think of people who collect things or collect specific things as having some sort of a method, whereas, I mean, I have my taste, you have your taste, but I feel like, in, in a way... I'm probably more of an acquirer of watches. I'm a watch enthusiast. I enjoy them. I'm not off 
trying to collect specific types of pieces. It's just like, oh, I like this one for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. I'm going to acquire that. And I think that is an interesting thing to think about is do I want to become more of a collector where I'm focusing on one thing or do I like kind of where I'm at with this broader package? Or weirdly, we've had some friends who have gone the other direction and been like, you know – I want to cons- like consolidation has been a topic that we've talked about I think offline quite a bit. Mm-hmm. We talked about it with the blowing up the collection episode like and I don't know. I mean, I I kind of go back to as I was talking with the, the new Pelagos, it's like I know what I know at least one of the watches that would go would be the SPV. Now, weirdly, weirdly, we've talked about this before. I feel like if I let most everything else go, I could wear that SPV literally every day. And it would be phenomenal. So it's it's weird to think about it that way. Like it's a watch I'm considering moving, but I also think in a weird way it could be a perfect one watch collection. I don't know, man. It, it's it's tough. It's still fun, but like the it's in a way it's fun, but it's it's not as exciting. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, when you think about that, it's like almost the same thing too. It's like you've gotten to the point now in your collection that. Everything that you have is there for a reason. It's not just for willy-nilly. It's because you wanted it, you did the research, it fits your taste, and it's it's there, which is why, you know, you've brought this up a few times. That, you, know, there, you own a good number of watches. Um, yeah, too many probably. I, you know, it's, <laughs> it is what it is. And, like, you'll say, like, oh, one day, oh, the Speedy could be the only watch that I wear, or uh, the El Primera could be the only watch that I wear, or the SPB could be the only watch that I wear. And I think that's, I guess, just, you know, your collecting style matching what you you like. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. That's I mean, that's what you should be doing, obviously. So you're doing it right. Um, but I guess at that point, it just does become, you, you have this internal struggle of, oh, man, like, can I get rid of anything? Like, do I want to get rid of anything? Even though, because it could be the one watch I wear and then finding new watches to replace those becomes a whole nother issue because it's like, ah, am I going to get a watch that I don't like now? And I got rid of a watch that I really did like, which I think, Oh, that's, that's a big one. Yeah. which (laughs) You can corner yourself into that. You know, you want to get rid of watches so bad. You want to consolidate, you want to like get new stuff, but it's like, Oh man, I got rid of a watch that I, I really liked and I got this new watch thinking I might like it and you end up not liking it. And, you know, that's just part of the game, right? Yeah. And I guess it's one of those things that's like, oh, man, does it take away from the fun? Eh, I don't know. It's a little bit of risk, you know. Keeps you on your toes. As it much does. As, as, much as you I, can. I think the interesting there, though, is, is um, at least where I've got the collection now, I do feel like there are very few pieces that if I let them go, I couldn't get them back at a reasonable level. Now, obviously, that's not the case with pieces I've let go in the past. Yes. Specifically just one. (laughs) But the weird thing is, is that's not one that I look back and it's like, man, I wish I had that. I I don't because of how silly the market got. it, It took away from the fun in wearing that piece, and it's still there. Mm-hmm. If that watch ever comes back to a place where I could get it back for a reasonable price, then guess what? I'd probably feel okay wearing it mm-hmm. because the market's not as silly anymore. Yeah, for and sure. And I think, I think that's the other thing that we've talked about in the past is 
do I do like it, once once you get to a point where you like if even if you cycle through your watches and it takes you five days to go through like if you were to wear like a different watch every day it takes you five days you're probably like well I could I could probably get rid of two of them or have like one watch that I wear for special occasion like you could realistically get down to one maybe two and say like okay this is a special occasion watch this is this or whatever mm-hmm. you could do that yeah but I guess where I come down to is like. I have a couple of Seikos that I don't wear very often. But when I wear them, I really enjoy it. And it's like, you're right. I could I could sell those watches and move them on. And like, would I, would I truly miss them? Probably not as much as I like to think that I would. Yeah. But then you wear them to say, ah, could I, could I get rid of this? And you wear it and you're like, well, damn, this is a really good watch. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to get rid of it. Yeah. Like, like and I go back and forth on a couple of them. I was like, ah, do I really need this one? Probably like... When you look at it in the box, you're like, ah, I don't, probably really don't need that one. I could probably move it on and just like not really – not even get anything to replace it. And then you put it on, you're like, but shit, this is a good watch. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would I want to get rid of it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm really having a great day today. No, I, I totally get that. I, I live that life. I live that life every day. And like it's the issue when it comes to selling them too. It's like you, you try to sell them and then you you put them on and it's like, oh, man, I can't I can't get rid of this. Obviously, duh. Why would I ever think about selling it? Um, and I think it, it – I don't know who it was from Hotinki that talked about this. It may have been Jack Forster. Um, may he rest in peace. Obviously, he's not Hotinki anymore. Um, he's not dead yet either, though, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For everyone out there listening, yeah, he's not dead, but, you know. Uh, he could be. I don't know. He's just over, he's just over at Watchbox. <laughs> could be breaking news. I don't know. You know, Obviously, I'm not wishing that, but, you know, you never know. No. <laughs> um, I think he was, like, the one that said, you know, oh, if you're looking to get rid of a watch, just, like, Put it away. Don't wear it. Let it sit for like a, a couple weeks, a month, you know, however long. And it's like, if you find yourself not reaching forward or really miss wearing it, then it's like, yeah. Even if you do enjoy wearing it, it's not really worth keeping it around at that point. So get rid of it. Um, which I've I've taken to doing that for a few of mine. Some of them, I'm like, yeah, no, I, I can't get rid of it because I, I do find myself missing it. And other ones, I'm like, yeah, it's been away for a month i've i've certainly thought about it i could have easily pulled it out at any point but i'm like i didn't really feel the biggest need to pull it out um which kind of helps affirm you know the idea that, oh yeah I, sh- I should get rid of this to try and find something else um because you know as we've alluded to in this conversation sometimes it can be hard to sell a watch um it can be and for me that that helps that helps me get through the process um yeah because i think some you of know, it though some of it though too depends depends on the watch like yeah because sometimes trying to sell a watch is more hassle than what the watch is worth yeah man we could get into a whole episode about that that that's a great mark that down that should be an episode how to sell a watch well, we've, still got, we've still got some time let's let's talk about this let's go down this, <laughs> it might help it might be cathartic for me because i got a couple of seikos that maybe shouldn't be in the box but still are because of that so so, so let's talk about that spangler for sure sh- i mean the thing, I mean, Spence, you've obviously obviously sold a few watches. I think I may have either sold the same amount or a little bit more than you. I, I guess I used I've to. I've sold two. Okay, I've sold more than <laughs> you. Yes, I've. It's probably double digits over the over the years at this point because I have a list. Because of course I do. I'm a watch nerd. Um, but yeah, it's definitely double digits at this point. Um, but it's just the. And I don't know for everybody out there listening to this. Like, I take what, that back. I've sold four. Oh, I sold four. 
Well, yeah. Big big seller over here, everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about I forgot about my orange samurai that went to a friend or yep. friend of the show. Yep. Who? Yep. And then um, I forgot about the Rideau that miraculously sold and somehow sold faster than the uh, the Tudor Fast Rider. <laughs> the Rideau Diastar sold faster <laughs> than the Tudor. Coming in Mark for the win. Yeah. <laughs> But man, I, I don't know some of the some of the questions and messages you get from these buyers or interested parties online. It just makes you want to like smash your head against a wall, you know. Like, and this like, watch has too much loom. This watch has too much loom. Oh yes, <laughs> said no one ever except that one guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's always that one guy, but it's always it's it's crazy, right? It's it's always just that one guy, but he. He comes back like seven or eight times during the life of your watch listing. It's it's wild because you know I've had people that are asked me like, oh, you know, can I look at the bezel? I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And I send them pictures of the bezel, you know, to make sure it's not scratched or anything. And they've asked me, can you send me individual pictures of each marker on the bezel of different lighting angles? And that's a real thing. They wanted. Like the 5, the 10, the 15, you know, blah, 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 all the way around from like different lighting angles per each. Like, I didn't realize mark. Buzzy was this particular. <laughs> <laughs> He's not here. I had to. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my Lord. It's just some of these things are just makes you scratch your head. And like I had a I think one of my funniest ones that I when I was selling, I had a. um the Steinhardt Paul Newman, the reverse Panda model, because I was in a big Paul Newman phase. This was 2018, I want to say. Um, and I sold the watch on eBay, and then the guy got it and was like, hey, there's there's marks in the watch. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, there's definitely marks. I, I sent you photos. You saw, you asked questions. He asked all the typical, can you send me the photos of the side, like more detailed ones? And of course, I obliged. And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever, that's fine. But he was... He was mad because there were there were marks on like where the the screw down pushers were, and I'm like those like if you buff them out like they're not really like scratches on the watch they're kind of just like you know skin rubbing on it marks and he's like no 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 I don't like it they weren't listed take it back and I'm like this. Mm. <laughs> I had to refrain myself from from saying anything, but it's it's that kind of stuff that like just makes you want to bash your head against the wall when it comes to selling watches. Because some people are like either so particular or just get buyer's remorse so quickly because like these things are just like in reality just very insignificant, but they go for very high prices. Um, so you definitely run into the buyer's remorse a lot from a lot of these parties, yeah. and it's just like. There's so much that can go wrong, so much hassle, so much to do when it comes to selling watches that it's like, when when at this point right now, I've just been so beat down by the system. I look at selling a watch and I'm like, oh my God, the amount of stuff that I'm going to have to do to sell this is, oh. And I'll just procrastinate on it because I know the amount of nonsense I'm going to get in like inbox questions and weird camera angles I'm going to have to take and weird stuff about the box papers and like where i got it it's just i don't know it's again this is just one of those things that maybe in the grand scheme of things takes a little bit of the fun away from me because you know i'd be able to i would love to be able to just say hey 
I have a watch for sale. It's got some marks on it. It's a used watch. You know, it works fine. And people will be like, yeah, I get that. It's a good price. It has some marks on it. I'm okay with that. Here's my money. I'd be like, thank you. you know Here's what, the watch. You know what we need is we need like a Kelly Blue Book system for, for watches. Like, I mean, there's, there's always some haggling when you go into the dealership. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. I kind of know what my car is worth. I know what condition it's in. I know roughly what you should like. We, we, you can either give me this on the trade. You can come off it. Like we can, we can figure something out. Now, I, I obviously I haven't bought a car after COVID with the microchip shortage and no inventory. But like, you know, you need to, you need to have some confidence going into an AD saying, like maybe you go into an AD and say, hey, I've got this, and I'd like to not get thirty cents on the dollar. <laughs> like that, that'd be a, a wonderful world. But unfortunately, we are not living in it currently. No, we are we are not. Um, yeah, I just it's. I think it will be interesting, and it's kind of a it's kind of a wild world for us because as we started the podcast and we started doing like getting into watches, things were kind of on the rise, and things that seemed like they made sense as an acquisition or were safe, not investment, but like there were watches that you knew that if oh if I if I buy this and I don't like it, like I can at least get 90 percent of my money out. In some cases, maybe even almost a hundred. Like, depending on what the watch was, you're like, "This is a safe buy, regardless." Yes. Um, I don't know that that's going to be the case anymore. I mean, certain models will be safer than others, but like, it depends on whether you buy them in MSRP or secondary. Mm-hmm. And you're starting to see the secondary prices on a lot of things come down. I mean, it just it, it's going to make the buying and selling of watches a little bit more tedious. And unless, in, in a weird way, it almost makes me think that people are going to crowd to what are deemed the safe bets still. Yeah. I mean, yes, I, I agree with that. I also think at a certain point it takes the pressure off of buying and selling watches because you don't have to worry so much about oh, what the condition is, you know, does it have box and papers? You know, was it worn more than once? Was it, uh, is it off by less or more than three seconds a day, right? It just becomes, you know, hey, this is yeah. a watch. It's got this stuff with it. And the person's like, great, I'm not going to lose. I don't have to spend a bunch of money and worry about losing thousands of dollars on this watch because I could probably get mostly what I pay back, maybe lose a couple hundred bucks. That's fine. And there's go from there, right? And so, I don't know. This, I think the world of upper end like hard to get steel sport watches trickle down to the lower tiered watches and that sort of mindset and that mentality of I when I buy a watch I have to get back what I paid for it or more it's just went throughout all watches not just the ones that are actually hard to get and in all reality are the only ones that really matters for um so I I'm a big fan of prices coming down. I'm a big fan of everything just resetting finally. I mean, I saw the other day a Pepsi GMT. I don't know what it was. It was at some retailer that had some good reviews and such. It wasn't like Crown and Caliber or like Bob's Watches. It was one of the ones, like, if you go on Rolex forums, you'll find yeah. uh, like upper-tiered ones that aren't like huge corporations. But it was one of those, and... I think it was listed for like nineteen five, and I'm like, I can't remember the last time I saw a Pepsi GMT listed for under twenty k. I'm like, this yeah. 
This is nice. I, I like this. Now. Yeah. I'm starting to like it again. It's still too much to pay for that watch. Yeah, but. for sure. Yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, but just the idea of prices starting to come back to reality, or at least within, like, reason. Like, God, like, this sounds crazy, right? But, like, the idea of a Daytona coming back to, like, 20K versus 40, which it was a couple months ago, I would love it. The watch is still way and too expensive. 20. Again, still too much. Still too much. But like, oh my still god, too 20. much. Twenty, it's amazing. It's an amazing deal, right? Two years ago, you could have got a black dial Daytona for oh, I don't know, eighteen. I've saw them for eighteen, eighteen and eighteen five. And you know, if that happens, that was still forty percent over MSRP, though. Yeah, it was one hundred percent. But at this point, right? Like we've seen the crazy, and maybe that was just the normal. We didn't know it back then. I don't know. I hope it's not yeah, normal, I... but. Maybe it wasn't. I don't think that's really the normal. I, I think I think there's a couple of things that and we've talked about this before. I think there's a couple of things that happened. Like watches had their moment. Hodinki yeah. became a thing. Watches had their moment. Mm-hmm. Um I, I, I saw and this is weird given the transition that is going on over there with editors coming and going and, and, and things like that. Yeah. Hodinki did a brand campaign in New York, which it's very interesting to think about a watch media company slash retailer because they are a retailer mm-hmm. via on like online yeah. and with Crown and Caliber and everything. They, they sell watches too. For sure. Hodinki doing a brand campaign. And to me, that that is – I think watches have kind of jumped the shark. They're in the consciousness. It's a, it's a, it's, watches are no longer just a weird niche hobby. It's things that people know now. And yeah. I, I kind of find it – I don't know. I think things will become less crazy, but and I, I hate using the phrase because it's it's been thrown around so much over the last decade <laughs> in ways that don't make sense. But like kind of the new normal is luxury watches and, and, and this space is gonna be more popular because now more people know about it. And and vintage is completely blown up for whatever reason. And it, yeah. it just I don't know. I, I, I think things will soften, I think they'll come back, but at the end of the day, watches are now in the cultural zeitgeist for some reason mm-hmm. and until something else new and popular and hot and trendy comes in and takes that place or speaks for those dollars or becomes more important or a another way to show your status or whatever for whatever reason people are into this mm-hmm. this space is going to be crowded until something competes for those dollars, and then again, it becomes just us crazy nerds who like these stupid little mechanical things we wear on our wrists. <laughs> Back to the way it should be. I us mean, nerds would argue. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's always going to be people buying watches, but like, you know, I'm not competing with the guy who's going to be like, oh, about, I'm going to go buy a nice watch because I had a promotion, and I'm going to wear that for 15 years until I, you know, make EVP and go get another one. Then I'm going to go buy my gold date date because <laughs> that's what you do. You... When you when your bonuses are six and seven figures, you go and you buy a five figure, a mid five figure watch, sure, <laughs> because you can. Um, like I, <laughs> that's not that's not going to be my reality, and honestly, that's not who I'm competing with. So, um, it just kind of is what it is. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. It's just is is one of those things that like you, you mentioned the brand campaign, and it's. In my mind, like at this point, Hodinkee in particular, right, 
a lot of the other websites are not following that. I think I think you said it very well that they're jumping the shark here when it comes to just like doing these brand campaigns, and it's like at a certain point, it just becomes an advertisement agency, which you know, right? Is it one? No, right? Is there objective watch journalism? No, at Hodinky. There, I mean, there certainly is. Sure, some cool pieces written um, every once in a blue moon. But I mean, for the majority of the stuff they put out, it's it's really just an ad for the crap they have on their website or stuff they're going to be doing with brands. Wow. And it's like, but let's think about this for a second. Let, let, I don't want to cut you off here, but. Mm-hmm. In order for Hodinkee to continue to be a thing, watches need to continue to be the thing. Like, Hodinkee speaking to just the watch nerds, it's a cool... Like, when you think about what they were when we all discovered them and kind of figured out what it was, you're like, man, this is like this is an awesome website. This is what I go there for. Yeah. That's not when they made their money. I mean, they were still up and coming. They were doing it very well. They had something that that people could invest in and something that like could make sense but mm-hmm. the journalism itself was never going to be the thing that got them to where they're at now and let me let me tell you this if you think about it it's almost like the milk advertisements and one of the comedians like Nate Bargas is like why why are they advertising for milk like is everybody like oh you know, yeah milk yeah it's like but it's the same thing like watches are a thing mm-hmm. and they, like people have always worn what like since the, you know since the 1930s when wristwatches became a thing people have worn watches yeah but they've become less necessary yeah so they become more of a niche thing but in order for hodinkee to continue to be as big and as popular and make as much money as it has mm-hmm. watches need to be a bigger thing than they've been yeah for this generation for this time frame mm-hmm. so them doing an ad campaign is almost just like them doing an ad campaign for watches. Like, hey, remember, watches are cool. They're popular. They're hip. Like, because if if that loses its cultural significance, if that if if people aren't checking out what their favorite NBA player is wearing or what that actress is wearing or who's got the brand ambassadorship with this or what the mm-hmm. golfer or tennis player is wearing, yeah. if they don't care, then Hodinkee doesn't make as much money. Yeah. Any which way, whether it's selling watches, what have you, like they become less important. And that's why the brand campaign for watches is a big deal. Like their brand isn't like their brand is Hodinkee, but their product is just watches in general and why they're important. Yeah. But, you know, you bring that up that like Hodinkee has to be there and their watches, they have to, their only like source of survival is the idea that watches are cool. And to yeah. a certain extent, right, Hodinkee's jumped well beyond a lot of the other watch websites out there that they're you know they're their own brand right they're they're hodinky right they're the louis vuitton of watches right and i think they're relying somewhat on the other like the the quote-unquote smaller guys to like keep that base of watch enthusiasm there but hodinky is just above them saying like hey we're hodinky i know there are watch people that will always love watches and there's people that don't really know much about watches but they know hodinky and hodinky is watches and that's i think that idea is what they have placed their bet on is that the majority of the public will see hodinky and think hodinky is watches and they know what they're talking about and i'm going to buy a watch based on 
their recommendation, their views, all that kind of jazz. And I think that's a very scary bet when a lot of this stuff just shifts up and down, like what you know the quote-unquote cultural zeitgeist is at the time. Stuff comes in, stuff goes out, and it's but very scary. It's a very risky but bet. It, but here's my question. Is it? Is, is it, it a risky because, bet? Because. Is it a risky bet? Yes. Because. No, I disagree with you. Here's why I don't know that it's necessarily a risky bet. Because uh-huh. I'm going to bring this full circle. Okay. Do you remember earlier in this episode when we talked about the Pelagos 39? Sure. And how the brushed finish, the sunray finish, probably for normies, if they could ever get <laughs> one, people mm-hmm. probably would like that. Mm-hmm. You remember how... As watch nerds, we constantly remind ourselves that watch companies make watches for the general public, not for us. Yes. We constantly talk about that, how there are so many more there are so many more watch consumers mm-hmm. than there are watch nerds. Sure. I think what we what you just outlined is that Hodinki has done what all of the other brands have done and is like, you know something? There are a lot more people who buy watches and who have money to buy watches or buy a watch or buy something, then there are watch nerds. And you know something? By speaking to a broader group at a lower level of understanding, we reach more of those people, we influence their buying decisions, and guess what? We've got a broader customer base now, which is exactly what we have always said watch brands do. (laughs) Is Hodinki starting to think like a watch brand? Are they making content for non-watch nerds? And is that's probably smart. That's probably smarter than just making it for watch nerds. Like I think, I think that's their strategy. It's like we were just talking about this the other day. Hey, this isn't a button. This is a pusher. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, but somebody who is like, hey, I kind of know what that watch looks like. What does it do? Mm-hmm. I think that's cool. Somebody who knows that that's the astronaut watch, but doesn't know why that's the astronaut watch. That's their content. Yeah. And Hodinki might be going that direction. And I can see why folks like. Like like Jack Forrester might be bored with that. Hundred percent, and it's like I, right when that when I was doing my little spiel earlier, it's like a, like I said, people right, and I'll, I'll refine it and I'll, I'll I'll edit it here that you know I said that Hodinki is wanting the general public to view Hodinki and think Hodinki is watches. Hodinki is the Louis Vuitton. Hodinki is the I don't know. Insert some fun luxury brand of whatever they're good at. Hodinki wants the general public to view them as the watch resource, as their own entity, their own brand, their own corporation, their own right. Hodinki is that. And there will always be, like you said, there will always be watch nerds out there, the critique stuff, blah, 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 blah. But I guess at the end of the day, Hodinki's just trying to be like, hey, we're going to be here for the foreseeable future as the company, the entity that encompasses watches, whether it's articles, whether it's campaigns, whether it's brand ambassadors, who knows if they'll do that? I don't know, but they're just, I think you're right. I think they're thinking of themselves as their own individual brand outside of the watch sphere that encompasses everything when it comes to watches, which is their thing. They're thinking like a watch brand. They're thinking like a watch very, brand. Very interesting to witness. Yes. It's very, very interesting to witness and to think about. But as we've talked about as watch nerds, since I've been a watch nerd and probably for even longer, watch companies and watch brands make watches for people, 
not watch nerds. Not yeah. that those are mutually exclusive, but people buy watches that watch nerds don't like. Sure. People need content to educate them because when you're making that type of a purchase, you want to have at least some information. And you're not going to tell me that that type of information isn't valuable to somebody who isn't a watch nerd. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's interesting. It's weird. But I think we figured it out, Spangler. <laughs> I think we did. <laughs> I think we did. We got... Uh, there was no theme to this episode, but I think we, we got to a, a ideal conclusion. We did. And guess what? It was a fun conversation. <laughs> it was. It, I had no idea where this was going to go, and it was enlightening, to say the least. But to answer the question, is this still fun? I still think the answer has to be yes. Of course. Because, I mean, look yeah. at us. We, we took this weird non-organized topic at the beginning of the episode we talked about it i had a blast talking about it and we come to some conclusion that we're all happy with and it was super fun to talk about yeah it's great watches are fun they're still they still are they're still fun yes they may not be they may not they may not give us the fizz that they used to but that just means that somebody hasn't come out with something they give it like we Mm -hmm. are i don't say jaded dulled senses but like it something will happen i can tell you when when I saw the first renderings of the of the PPX uh, Caliber 400, yep. it came right back. It's just a matter of it not like you you have a a broader you have a narrower sense of what you want. So it'll happen again. Um, it's still fun. May not be as exciting as it's been, but it's because you know what you like. And yeah. when you see it, it comes back. Anyway. I think it'll be once once I get a Daytona. It'll be <laughs> once you get that call. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see when that happens, and I'm sure we'll be some of the first to know. <laughs> you will. It'll be right. here in the podcast. So stay tuned, everybody. Sure. All right. Episode 375, <laughs> Spangler gets to Daytona. I'm you thinking episode like 500. Let's, let's be reasonable <laughs> here. Come on now. 1,673. <laughs> 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 anyway, well, it's been fun. We'll catch everybody next week. <laughs>